Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath through the grain fields, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. Now when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, your disciples did what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions? How he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And departing from there, he went into their synagogue. Behold, there was a man with a withered hand. And they questioned him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, in order that they might accuse him? And he said to them, What man shall there be among you who shall not have one sheep, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath? Would he not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value, then, is a man than a sheep? So then, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and counseled together against him as to how they might destroy him. You see? It is noteworthy that Jesus, at the end of chapter 11, gives this great appeal after having told uh, the consequences of not believing either the, the message of John the Baptist nor his message uh, that was preaching the gospel. He gives that great invitation for everybody to come into him and to find rest. And on the heel of this, of telling people and beckoning them to come to him to find rest, we find this story of Jesus, along with his disciples on the Sabbath, traveling through a grain field, and they're hungry, and the disciples uh, begin to, to eat. And the Pharisees, they see this, and they're always ready to accuse Jesus. And what they're always accusing him of is somehow he's going to break the law. Now, as we look at this passage in Matthew 12, we need to carefully take a look at what it says and what it does not say. Does this incident demonstrate that Jesus set aside Sabbath observance? Some think so, but are they correct? As with any scripture, it must always be understood in the local context and every passage of the Bible needs to be understood in the larger context, meaning the whole Bible. So you have to look at Matthew 12 from the vantage point of all that the Scripture teaches on this subject matter, knowing this, that no Scripture can ever contradict itself. There is no problem. There is no one Scripture pitted against another Scripture. Some think that the Fourth Commandment, meaning regulating the Sabbath day, was a ceremonial commandment, and it was done away with 
Christ in the New Covenant. There were sincere people that believed that. But we're going to see that a careful look at the passage is that Jesus did not set aside the fourth commandment. It is a moral law. You cannot set aside moral laws. You may set aside ceremonial laws, but you can't set aside a moral law. The fourth commandment is a moral law, and as we read in our confession of faith, consistent with the scriptures, it is perpetual binding on Christians throughout all time to the coming of Christ. Today we're going to take a look closely at this incident. We're going to see what Jesus was doing. We're going to see what the Sabbath is all about and how we should honor it, uh, why we should honor it, and how we can honor it. As we take a look at this episode, we're going to see that the Pharisees were always looking for a way to accuse Jesus. And they're going to look at him to find where he's going to break the law of Moses, or we're going to see break the laws that they think are important to be consistent with the law of Moses. But we're going to see they had a lot, they added a lot of laws to the law of God. We're going to see that. They insinuate that what the disciples were doing was breaking the law. Now, it's always helpful to look at the other gospel writers to see the incident. So uh, we're going to come back to Matthew here, but turn over to Luke 6, 1, and see what Luke says about this incident. Because he adds something to it that is important that Matthew does not add. Now it came about that on a certain Sabbath he was passing through some grain fields and his disciples were picking and eating the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. Now that phrase there, rubbing them in their, in their hands. Um, Matthew doesn't mention that. Now the question is, were the disciples breaking the Sabbath day by working on the Sabbath? Because that was the accusation. Not that they were eating, not that they were hungry. Uh, the accusation was they were working on the Sabbath, according to the Pharisees. But were they working in violation of the law of God? Now, while the fourth commandment, well, <clears throat> we're going to see the disciples were breaking a commandment of men but it's not the commandment of God. While the fourth commandment forbids any work, such as planting and harvest time, according to Exodus 34.21, let me just read you what Exodus 34.21 says. It says, You shall work six days, but on the seventh day you shall rest, even during plowing time and harvest time. That's what the text says. So, they were to rest during the, uh, the planting and the harvesting. Now, just as Jesus, as we looked at when we were looking at the Sermon on the Mount, he had to correct pharisaical interpretations of the law. And he had to uh, rebuke them and correct them that they misunderstood the essence of the law, and not only that, they were adding to the law of Moses by their own traditions. So two things were going on. They were adding to the law by their traditions, 
and they were missing the real central focus, or we may say the heart of what the law is all about. So the Pharisees, who their role was to be guardians of the law of God. That's what their function was. They're supposed to be experts in the law. And so what was happening over a long period of time in their desire to, in one sense, keep the law of God externally, they began to add to it in order to try to safeguard any kind of violation of that law. So you've heard of the the Talmud. The Talmud is a Jewish document which contains the teachings and the opinions of Jewish rabbis. And in the Talmud, it forbade picking grain, which is what the disciples were doing, and it forbade what it called threshing, the rubbing of the grain in your hands. So when the Pharisees saw Jesus' disciples pick those grain, that, that, that we're not told what they picked. Some think it might have been barley. Some think it might have been wheat. We're not told. But when they saw them pick the heads and rub it, they go, I, I, Jesus, they're breaking the law. They're breaking the Sabbath. You're a Sabbath breaker. You're a law breaker. And by the way, what the disciples were doing And the Pharisees did not accuse them of stealing. We're told, for example, in Deuteronomy 23-25, it says that it allows people to go into the neighbor's field and to pluck heads of grain and to rub it in their hands and eat it. It just forbids you taking a sickle and just taking a whole bunch. That's what it forbids. But it's, it's picturing... Uh, when you're traveling, if you're hungry, you're allowed to go into your neighbor's field and pick that grain and eat it. What we're told here, the disciples were hungry. Now, someone could say, well, they didn't have to eat on that day. They could have abstained, but that didn't matter. It, they were hungry. And so that's why they did it. And so what we're going to see... The disciples were hungry, and the Sabbath did not say you could not satisfy your hunger your hunger on the Sabbath day. And so Jesus will come to the defense of his disciples, and he'll give three arguments in defense of what his disciples were doing. Jesus is going to show that the works of necessity and mercy are all within the scope of the fourth commandment. And he seeks to refute the Pharisees by a series of three arguments. And here's his first argument. The first argument is drawn from the story of David. Now, they revered David, King David. Now, this is before he was king. It's talking about an incident in the life of David where Saul, the king, was pursuing him to kill David. And David, with his men... They come to the tabernacle, and they are hungry. And what we're told, Jesus says in our text, and if you look there, notice what he says. How he entered the house of God, they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but only the priests alone. 
Now what they were eating was the consecrated showbread. Each Sabbath day, the priests would put out, they would uh, replace 12 loaves of bread with 12 fresh loaves each Sabbath day. And then they would eat that bread. They were the only ones that would be allowed to eat it. David comes, and they are really hungry. And so what did the priest do? What did David do? And the priest allowed him to do? Well, we've replaced the consecrated bread with fresh loaves. We've got 12 loaves of bread. You can have it. And so they ate. So Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, Do you want to accuse David? Do you think David did anything wrong? Do you think the priest did anything wrong when they gave him the food? So that's his first argument. And then we're told... <clears throat> Now, what they did, now all the work of the house of God, the tabernacle, was designed to show what? Ultimately, the Savior of the world, right? It was all designed, the whole sacrificial system was pointing to Christ. That's what it was all about. That's what the ceremonial law was about. It was important. But it was ceremonial law, and it was done away with, with, ultimately, with the coming of Christ. So it's no incidence here. Look at verse 6 of our text in Matthew 12. Jesus says, but I say to you, something greater than the temple is here. Meaning himself. And so what was happening here is, yeah, they broke a ceremonial law and ate the consecrated bread. And Jesus says, My disciples are hungry, and they're eating, and behold, something greater than temple, meaning I am here, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world, is here. And so my disciples on the Sabbath, they're with him, they're doing the work of the ministry with Jesus, and they're hungry, so he says what they ate was permissible. Well, Jesus alludes to a second argument here. He says, where the priests and their work of service in the tabernacle, notice what he says, or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? He uses the word, well, it's a stronger word. King James says they profane the Sabbath. They break the Sabbath by, by working, and yet they're innocent. Well, how is it they're innocent? Because the work they are, their service is of great value in the, helping the people worship God. In fact, their work on the Sabbath was the most intense of any day of the week. They worked the hardest on the Sabbath, the priest did. You might wonder, well, you could say, do preachers break the Sabbath by breaking the Sabbath by working it's I mean, calling to work by not breaking the Sabbath no not any more than the priests in the service of um, of God in the helping and aiding the people in the worship of God so that's his second argument and so in, in, even though it was a type of work it was a necessary work it was a necessary work for the people to worship God as God had prescribed in the Bible. Again, Jesus 
is going to argue from the lesser to the greater here. And he says, if the priests technically break the Sabbath by doing religious work, then his disciples are innocent in doing religious work on the Sabbath. And then Jesus, in his third argument, look at verse 7. Here's his third argument in defense of his disciples. But if you'd known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Now, they were condemning the disciples who Jesus says are innocent. And what is Jesus appealing to? He's actually quoting from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, which says, For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You know, God had always prescribed the, uh, the, ceremon- the ceremonial system. He always set up the feasts that he expected his people to keep. But in doing so, God never intended for people to get hung up on the outward carrying out of the commandment without the heart being engaged. God never intended to be external only. Your heart had to be engaged. You had to have the right reasons. And that's why God says, I want compassion and mercy. It's not that I'm looking for a sacrifice. I haven't done my duty to God if all I do is do something external. By just showing up in church, I haven't necessarily done my duty to God. I have to have the right attitude. And so if I'm sitting here, if any of us are sitting here and say, well, I've, I've obeyed God, I've come here, but you got some hard feelings against a family member, or you got some hard feelings against a friend, or hard feelings against some co-worker, or, or, or whatever it could be, or your mind's not even here. <laughs> it's, it's where you're going to go tomorrow, you know, to have fun. Have you really worshipped God? No. Yeah, you're here, but if you really worship God, no. Because the heart wasn't there, the attitude wasn't right. And so, it's what God, Isaiah, accused of those in his time who were, God says, I'm tired of your feasts, I'm tired of your prayers. And, and, and why was he tired of them? He says, I, in fact, I don't want them anymore. He says, because... You are shedding innocent blood because you are abusing people. You are taking advantage of the widows and the orphans. You're taking bribes. You're abusing one another. And he says, yeah, you're following the rituals. Yeah, you're keeping the feasts. But if you think that is your duty, you're greatly mistaken. See, what we always have to be careful of, and here was the great error of the Pharisees. In some sense, they had a I'm careful I want to say a sincere desire, but there's not much good that Jesus had anything to say oftentimes about the Pharisees. But in a sense, they were thinking they were keeping the law in some sense. But as Jesus would bring out, they had darkened hearts. They were wicked men. As you're going to see here, Jesus is going to do a great miracle. And what is their response? Let's kill him. Well, that's real godly. Don't kill Jesus. Because he showed compassion to a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. So you're going to kill him. 
So you think, well, he's a lawbreaker. He broke the law. You can't heal on the Sabbath. Well, says who, according to Jesus? By the way, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is God. And what he does on the Sabbath is always right. And so as we're going to see here, Jesus is always against the Pharisees in respect that all their religion was external. They wanted to be seen of men, to be religious, it says. And yet in their hearts, they were, as Jesus will later say in Matthew 23, he says, you're, you're like dead men's bones. You're whitewashed tombs. You look good. You pray on the streets. You have your long robes, but he says, because you like your long robes. He says, you like what people think about you, but God doesn't think much of you. Because your attitude, your heart is not engaged. And so Jesus, is, he sets up the Pharisees for what he's about to do when he says what God really wants is compassion, mercy. So it says he goes into a synagogue. And here's a man with a withered hand. Some commentator says that his withered hand was his hand of productivity. The man could not work. He was concerned that he would become a beggar. And so here's this man. We're told in our text there was a man with a withered hand. They questioned him saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And the only reason they asked him that, look at what verse 10 says, that they might accuse him. That's why they asked the question, that they might accuse him. Not that they were concerned about the man with the withered hand. Now, Luke, Jesus says uh, in Luke's account that Jesus knew what they were thinking. Jesus, being God, knows the thoughts of men. And he knows their attitude and that it was terrible. And Jesus says, well, he says, what man is there? Now, again, he's going to argue from the lesser to the greater. He says, now, if you had an animal, if you had a sheep, and it fell into a pit on the Sabbath day, you're just going to let it lie there? Is that what you're going to do? Now, you get it out. You'd help your animal. Now, if you're going to help your animal, are you going to help a man? Here's a man with a withered hand. I could put it this way. On your way to church today, you saw somebody in a wreck. And they're, and they're lying out there and they're bleeding. You say, well, I can't be late for church. <laughs> Is that what you're going to do? I hope not. I hope you stop and render aid even if you didn't make it here on time. Or make it at all. Why? Because God put you put that incident in your path for you to do what? To show mercy, to show compassion. But it's the Sabbath. But I gotta go to work. I gotta go to church. Well, yeah. But God's looking for compassion. And so <clears throat> we're told here look, take a look at Luke's account. Turn over to Luke's account in Luke six. And look at verses 6 through 11. And it came about on another Sabbath that he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and there was a man whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath. 
in order that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the withered hand, So here's what I like. Jesus knows exactly what they're thinking, and they're waiting, they're waiting for Jesus to heal him so they can accuse him. So Jesus, knowing their thoughts of what they were going to do, he says, he tells the guy, stretch out your hand. So he deliberately tells the man, stretch out your hand, and his hand is instantaneously healed. As if Jesus says, Look, you can imagine them looking at the Pharisees and going, I just answered your question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? I just healed on the Sabbath. They hated him. Notice it says, uh, And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around them all, he said, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and it was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage, it says, and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. He deliberately did that. He knew that. He deliberately did that to accuse us, to make us. And that's exactly right. Yeah, he deliberately did that in the face of the Pharisees to prove a point. Yes, it is good to do a work of necessity on the Sabbath. And it is not breaking the Sabbath to do that. So, in this regard, what are we to do on the Lord's Day? And what is the Scripture teaching? Now, if Jesus did not set aside the fourth commandment, how are we to understand this? Now, I hope you can see from this incident, there's nothing in here that would say that we're no longer to be to observe the Sabbath. He's just saying how we rightly do it, how we should not be accused if we do deeds of mercy uh, and of necessity on the Sabbath. Well, in understanding, and the rest of the message is going to deal with understanding the Lord's Day, Let's turn over to Exodus 20 and look at the commandment again, verses 8 through 11. Exodus 20, beginning at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, the fourth commandment finds its ultimate uh, expression in the creation mandate. Because it says, six days he worked and he rested the seventh day. Therefore, since God rested on the seventh day, he expects us to rest on a day. Now, let's look at the meaning of God's resting. What does it mean that God rested on the Sabbath day, on the seventh day? 
Well, we're, we know it's not because God, in making the universe, it just plumb warm out. <laughs> is that what we do? Oh, the scripture says God can't get tired. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, the fact that he spoke it into existence, one thing, he didn't wear God out to make the universe like that. So what, what does it mean? Well, here's what God did three things. First, he ceased from the work of creation on the seventh day is what he did. After the sixth day, he, he said, after creating man, male and female, he says, it's all very good, and it was done. Everything he wanted to create was created, and uh, it was, it was, he ceased from his creative activity. Second, what did he do? He declared it was good. What God did, he refreshed himself in contemplating on his finished work of creation. It was very good what he had made. And third, he pledged the rest of eternal life. Therefore, on the Sabbath... We cease from our normal labors and recreations in order for us to do what? Here's what we need to do. To contemplate with great delight the beauty of God, the beauty of his creation, and most importantly, the beauty of his Savior, Jesus, that he's provided for us. That's what we're to contemplate on. That's why the Lord's Day was given. For us to reflect on those two great things. His creation and His redemption provided for us. So we delight in Jesus' completed work of redemption. And the rest that He has provided for us when we believe in Him. You know, the Bible says when we believe in Him, we have rested from our works. And so what do we do? On the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day, we devote ourselves to public and private worship. Public worship meaning gathering like we're doing right now, whenever the elders call for a stated meeting on the Lord's Day. By private worship, praying ourselves, uh, reading the scriptures, reading Christian books, or whatever act in to edify our souls. We engage in fellowship with the saints. We have people over. What else do we do? To promote the kingdom of God. Engage in uh, testifying. Uh, Be engaged in some kind of evangelistic endeavor. Some churches, they go out to uh, retirement homes to minister to the elderly. Uh, Or they could go to an orphanage to, to help out. Well, let's take a closer look at the original intent of the Sabbath. You know, God provided both an example and uh, the words of the nature of Sabbath observance. By the way, the word Sabbath means uh, rested. That's what, it, that's what it means, rested. While God may have rested from his creative work, he is uh, very active in his works of providence, isn't he? He's always watching over us. He's sustaining his creation by his, uh, by his hand. He's there. Uh, the Lord is constantly, actively 
watching over his universe. It is not the deists that God wound up the clock and is letting it go. No, God is actively engaged in his creation. And, moreover, God continues his work of redemption on an ongoing basis. Namely, he's bringing his elect to saving faith. You know, one of the things that was um, interesting in reading in my great-great-grandfather's diary of how God saved him, I went to the town in his diary where this incident occurred. He says, I went with some friends on the Sabbath to mock the preacher. And then he said, and so I had all those accounts where he did that. And he says, later in the afternoon, he went over to Little Hell, H-A-L-E, which is where he heard evening preaching. He says, when I went there, he did not have the effect that I felt maybe I ought not to be mocking. And when he went there with the purpose of mocking the preacher, the words of the preacher were getting to him and convicting him. And he'll find himself in another service later at Little Hill Chapel, and they all will come crashing down on him. And he says, it was just too much, my sins were too great, and I had, with a great resistance at times, I had to give my life to Jesus. And he did. So on the Sabbath day, somebody went originally to mock people. Another Sabbath day, he's preaching in an area, and a guy was hired by a businessman to run my great-great-granddaddy out of town. He said when the guy arrived, he heard him preach and was convicted of his sins and gave his life to Jesus that day. You never know what God is going to do when people are put in front of the Word of God when the Spirit will move in a person's heart. When God goes to save, He will save. So the Lord is constantly about His work of redemption. And constantly at work in redeeming his people from their sins on the Lord's Day. That's why it's important to get people in front of the preaching of the gospel on the Lord's Day. Well, the second thing. You know, Jesus confirmed what all this when in John 5.17, Jesus says, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. So why did God rest? Well, we said that he rested in order to express his delight in the creation that he had made. If you turn over, look, turn over to Exodus 31 for a moment. Look at Exodus 31, verses 15 through 17. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord, Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It's a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. There's the word, and was refreshed. 
How was God refreshed? By looking at his creation and saying, it really is good. He had joy in his creation. And therefore, you and I, like God, we rest on the Sabbath when we take joy in his creation. You, you, uh, I'll bring that. You remember in, uh, in the movie Amazing Grace, at the first part of the movie, that has William Wilberforce running out. And he, and he goes and he's lying down and he's praying and he's reading and he's admiring what? The creation. All that God's done. He's glorying in the creation. And therefore, as God refreshed himself in his creation, likewise, we refresh ourselves, our spirits, in the creation. You know, one of the things that we ought to do, and even on the Lord's Day, this is one good use of it, is taking nature walks. Uh, taking a ride out into the country. I mean, even this time of year when the leaves begin to change and all this glorious beauty. You know, the attitude should be this. Why, why would we do this? To marvel, to marvel at God's creation is beautiful. And therefore, you, you look at it and you thank God. You say, we live in a magnificent world that God created and you even look at spider webs. I don't like spiders, but then I am, I am amazed at the spider webs. And I find myself watching spiders all the time. And every time I watch them, I sit there and think, how does each generation know how to build the same web year after year after year? Oh, I forgot Mother Nature just to have to Is that it? You see, it's, you sit there, you know, Jonathan Edwards, the great theologian, of the 18th century, he was a naturalist. In fact, he was considered an expert on spiders. He watched spiders, too. <laughs> because in you're watching them, you see the glory of God. You see it everywhere. And that's why when in that <clears throat> movie, Expelled, when uh, Stein was talking with the renowned atheist Richard Dawkins, and he says, well, Richard, what if in the end God really is there? What are you going to say to God? And he says, well, that's my favorite scene. He says, I'll, I'll just say, why didn't you make yourself more clear? And you know what God's going to say to Richard Dawkins? He says, Richard, when you walked out and you saw that plant, you saw me. I was screaming at you, Richard, every day. And every scientist that works in a research lab, God is screaming to them in his creation, marveling over these things. Oh, God is evident, just like Romans 1 says, he is evident in his creation. He's there. We just have blinders on and don't see. But the Lord's Day is a great day to go out and marvel in the creation of what he has done. But of course, we see that God rested the seventh day, and he pictured the rest that he would provide for mankind. The seventh day does not have to have a... uh, it's interesting, it doesn't have the repeated cycle of evening and morning like the other days. But the record of the day is left open 
to picture the eternal rest that God would provide for his people. Turn with me to Hebrews 4, and you're going to see what the, uh, the, the redemptive purpose that the Sabbath has, the Sabbath day. Look at Hebrews 4, beginning at verse 1 through verse 10. Therefore let us fear, lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has thus said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as he had said before, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Now, what Hebrews 4 is telling us, that our rest ultimately is in the Lord Jesus Christ by believing in him. Some have mistakenly thought that by believing in Jesus that set aside uh, the fourth commandment. No, actually, the, the grammar here says in verse uh, 9, it says, Therefore there remains a sabbatismos, a Sabbath day, for the people of God. So what we do, what we do on the Sabbath day, on the Lord's day, not only are we admiring God's creation, but most importantly, we are reflecting on the fact that we have been redeemed by the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That grace and mercy has been shown to us. That is what we revel in. That's what we should focus upon. All the other, of all the days, God says, I just want one in seven for you to remember all that I've done for you. You live in my world, you breathe my air, you eat my food, and I do good things for you, and I've saved you from your sins. Now, I'll just ask for one day for you to be thinking about that. Now, we think about other days, but this is what the day is given for us to center upon. So God calls us to seek our rest as we contemplate his goodness, his beauty, in his creation and his wonderful provision of redemption. This is what we should do. Meditate on these things. Meditate. Read about and, and revel in the fact that we are the redeemed of the Lord. You know what? We owe him everything, don't we? We owe him everything. It's the least that we could do. You know, in this regard... <clears throat> So the the day is set apart for special religious 
worship and for service in the kingdom. Historically, it was never designed to be a legalistic system. It was designed for the people of God to give praise to Him and express their thankfulness to Him. That's what it was designed for. It was designed that the people would understand the magnificent privilege they have of being in His creation and saved by His grace. Well, there's one other passage we have to take a look at. Turn over to Isaiah 58. Look at verses 13 and 14. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure, and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, several things about this passage. What is the thing that says, take delight in me? That's the first thing we do. Take delight in God, His creation and His redemption. That special communion that we have with Him, that we are to respond with Him in thanksgiving. And then, notice how many times in the text it said, at least four times, did it not? Turn your foot from doing your own pleasure. Desist from your own ways from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word. Now let's see what that is saying and what it's not saying. Are we to be morbid on this day? Is that what it's saying? No. So when it says desist from your own ways is it's a day that we don't think about ourselves. It's a day that we don't emphasize ourselves. It's a day that we emphasize the Lord. And what we would normally do on other days in our work, in our recreations, we're not doing in order to concentrate on the beauty of the Lord. That's what it means, desisting from your own pleasure. I hope that when you eat, it's pleasurable. Yeah, you can eat on the Lord's Day, but you understand, seeking the pleasure is what we would normally do on other days, we're not going to do on the Lord's Day in order to focus upon what He has done. That's what Isaiah 58 is conveying to us. Now notice the blessing that's associated with the text. It says, verse 14, I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. You know, to feed upon the inheritance of Jacob is to enjoy the inheritance of Jacob, meaning to enjoy the inheritance that is ours as believers in Jesus. He says, you take this day and you concentrate on glorifying me, thinking about me, then I will bless you uh, with his benefits. It's holy unto him because he has set it apart. 
So it's not our day to do just whatever we feel like doing. It's a day to honor Him. Uh, it's a day that we set aside our businesses, our jobs, our recreations. It's the least we can do for Him, isn't it? So, all that I've mentioned here about what Isaiah says, do you think Jesus set that aside in his episode with the Pharisees? Not hardly. He set aside the creation mandate, and that day, hardly. He's just dealing with what we should be doing. Worship, works of necessity, and mercy. Spreading the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. That's what we ought to be doing. Let us pray.